Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which is on page 1051 of the Black Bibles. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're starting at verse 6. However, we do speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye did not see and ear did not hear, and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lynn. Let me just uh, So I hope this is not a distraction. If this is a distraction, please tell me. Um, we need God's help. We're going to pray, and then we're going to unpack a really tricky part of the Bible. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you... Don't leave us alone, but you give us your spirit, and we need his work right now to illuminate this part of the Bible so we might understand it, uh, not just intellectually, but we might understand it in a way that uh, changes us. So do a powerful work in this place and in this people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to think tonight about what it means to be spiritual. (laughs) If, If you walk into any bookshop, there are whole sections on spirituality you just google on amazon books on spirituality and you'll get books in their millions what does it mean to be spiritual would you describe yourself as a spiritual person is the person next to you a spiritual person how how do you know what are the marks of somebody who is spiritual let me ask you some questions this person here the the his holiness of dalai lama is he spiritual? Just raise your hand. Is he spiritual? Yes? No? Unsure? He talks about spiritual things. Now, he, he promotes really valuable, important things like his first commitment is to the human values of, of compassion and kindness and forgiveness. That, that, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? His second commitment is to what he calls religious tolerance he's basically saying that all religions are basically the same i have questions about that 
his third commitment is to the Buddhist culture. He talks about spiritual things. He has some good ideas, but is he spiritual with a capital S? Question mark. Let's ponder that. What about these guys who? Let's go back. Let's go back one. The Hare Krishnas. Are they spiritual? Uh, they, they do meditation. They do yoga. They talk about spiritual things. Uh, they actually have quite a sort of a, a strict ethical living. You know, no meat, no fish, no alcohol, no coffee. I could not be a Hare Krishna. <laughs> but, but are they spiritual? Well, let's think within the church. This lady here is the, the Reverend Professor uh, McCord Adams. I was at Oxford with her. She's a, she was the Regis Professor of Theology at Oxford University. She's an academic. She's a theologian. She's an ordained priest. She teaches spirituality. She calls herself a, a Christian universalist. And her theology, her premise there is that every human being, every man, every woman who's ever lived, they'll all be saved on the last day. Is she spiritual? She teaches spirituality, but is she truly Spiritual. Joel Olstein, a preacher, pastor, evangelist, followed by millions of people. Is he spiritual? But you've got to understand that question. Are you a spiritual person? I'm not asking, are you a nice person? Do you have nice ideas? Do you have ideas about a higher being? Are you a, a prayer? I'm asking, are you spiritual? And how do you know? If you get this wrong, if you misunderstand what it really means to be a spiritual person, uh, you'll either slip into universalism where you know, everyone's saved, or you'll slip into elitism where you know, I'm more spiritual than you because I know, I know more the Bible than you, or I pray more than you, or I've had a special revelation, so I'm much more spiritual than you. But if you understand what it really means to be spiritual, it's the most liberating truth. Uh, the problem in Corinth was that these Christians claim to be super spiritual. They claim to have these amazing revelations about God and they thought they were better than other Christians. And they lived in a city where the papers were full of deep thinkers and philosophers and religious people and impressive speakers. What are the marks of a spiritual person? Here's the first one. The spiritual person has the Holy Spirit. So they can know God. Uh, verse 12 is really the key to this passage. It's, it's quite simple, but it's profound. Verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world. But we have received, capital S, spirit, the spirit who comes from God, the Holy Spirit. So that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Uh, the we and the us here are Christians, if you believe in Jesus, and you have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God. It's such a, a basic but a profound point. If you're here tonight and you believe in Jesus, you've trusted in Jesus, it means the spirit of God is, is living in you. You ever thought about that? The spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead has taken up residence within you. You are a spiritual person because the spirit of God lives in you. You're a spiritual person, not because you have nice ideas about a higher being, not because you pray, not because you meditate, but the Spirit of God is living in you. And unless you've got the Spirit of God in you, you cannot be a spiritual person. 
You can be a deep thinker, but you're not truly spiritual with a capital S. So, so why has God given us his spirit? Look at verse 12. So that we might understand, comprehend with our minds what has been freely given to us by God. Without the spirit of God, we cannot think correctly. Let's think about our minds for a moment. Do you ever have those moments in the day when you find yourself daydreaming or pondering or thinking and you're off with the fairies? And someone comes to you and says, oh, what are you thinking about? You've got a choice there, haven't you? You can either tell them what you're thinking or you can't. But if you don't tell them what you've been thinking, they have no idea what's going on in your mind, do they? Let's do a little experiment. What am I thinking? What's in my mind? Come on, tell me. You know, don't you? Unless I choose to tell you what I was just thinking about, you have no idea, do you? I was actually thinking about the Hawaiian Ironman crossing the finish line with my son Sam in 15 years' time. Uh, My point is this, that unless I reveal to you what I'm thinking, you cannot understand what's going on here. Now, with that experiment in your mind, read verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? If you don't know my mind, unless unless I, I tell you. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. He's saying there that no one, no man, no woman who's ever lived can really know what God is thinking. How dare we? How arrogant is to think that we, human finite beings, can comprehend what God is thinking. Except the Spirit of God. The Spirit can do that because he is God. He's part of the Trinity. And I love verse 10. Read verse 10. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. It's, it's this beautiful, if, you, if you're a visual learner, you've got to imagine the, the Spirit of God doing some scuba diving and digging down deep and diving deep and, and grabbing these wonderful truths about God and bringing them to the surface so that you and I can see it and understand it and comprehend it. And what the Bible is saying there is that without the Spirit of God, you and I would never understand forgiveness. And without the Spirit of God, you and I would never really comprehend what it means to be sanctified. And without the Holy Spirit, you and I would never understand what it means to be justified or forgiven. And without the Holy Spirit, you and I would would never understand all those difficult doctrines of election and sovereignty and predestination. These wonderfully impressive, philosophical, intelligent people who think that they know God because they've sat in a library and they've thought and they've pontificated, but they've ignored the way that God has revealed himself. And you and I can sit here tonight and you might not be the most intelligent person, 
You may never have finished school. You may never have a degree. But if you've got the spirit of God in you, you can comprehend truths about God. And you can understand things about God. And you can know God. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? A spiritual person has the Holy Spirit so you can know God. Number two. The spiritual person understands the the wisdom of the cross. Look again at verse 12. We've received the spirit who comes from God so that we may understand, comprehend what has been freely given to us by God. What's been freely given to us by God? Salvation. Forgiveness. It's what Paul has been banging on about. Chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God for those who are being saved. Chapter 1, verse 30, it's from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became God's given wisdom for us. Our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Chapter 2, verse 7, We speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. He's talking about the cross of Christ. He's talking about a mystery that was hidden, but's now being revealed. It it, it looked foolish, a, a man hanging on a cross at Calvary. It seemed folly, but it was the wisdom of God for salvation of every man, woman, boy and girl. And according to verse 7, God predestined that before the ages. God decided before time began that he would crucify his son. And he did it, verse 7, look at it, for our glory, for your glory and for my glory. Because we are the recipients of that salvation that's won at Calvary. You see, the... The real dividing line between the the spiritual person and the unspiritual person has got nothing to do with meditation. It's got nothing to do with intelligence. It's got everything to do with the cross of Christ. Because the spiritual person says, Jesus died at Calvary for the forgiveness of sins. A simple gospel truth. Now let's think about that. All these wise, intelligent philosophers who are trying to think about the way that we can be right with God and the way that we can be better people and live in a better world. It's all about us reaching out to God, but God in his wisdom reached down to us and stepped into our world in human form so that we can be forgiven. And it takes the spirit of God to open your eyes to that, doesn't it? Because deep down... We want to do something and we want to achieve something. But the foolishness of the cross is that we can do nothing except to say thank you. I remember preaching at a church in Tamworth in 1999. I preached on the cross. At the end of the service, two men came up to me. Two very different responses. The first man really just argued with me for about half an hour. An intelligent man, and he was talking about you know, how it just didn't make sense and about child abuse and about what, what uh, propitiation really meant and what about other religions and how could God do this to his son. And he was just arguing, saying, this is stupid. I do not believe it. And the other man, 
He came over to me with tears in his eyes. And you know, for Tamworth man, that's not a cool thing to do. And he was just weeping. And all you could say was, I get it. Jesus died for me. I get it. Jesus died for me. The two very different responses to the same sermon. Now, why was that? Had nothing to do with intelligence or goodness or background or race and everything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom of the cross. If they had known it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. No, if Pontius Pilate and Herod and all those guys had understood what was happening, they would not have crucified Jesus. But they did. But as it's written, what eye did not see and ear did not hear and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. So I'm here tonight to remind you never to move on from the cross of Christ. Never to tire of the wisdom of the cross. Uh, this season we call Lent is a wonderful time to, to keep the cross centering your life again. I do hate it when Christians sort of talk about the cross as though that was something that they really believed in 20 years ago. But they moved on from that. They want deeper truths. They want deeper theology. There's nothing more profound than the cross of Christ. And I really struggle going to churches where it seems to be super spiritual and they have amazing singing and they have amazing experiences and they have amazing visual aids, but there's no preaching on the cross of Christ. And I do struggle going to churches where they have amazing social action programs and good works, but there's no cross of Christ. If there is no cross of Christ, it's not a spiritual church. Because the spiritual person keeps the cross at the center of their life. Number three, the spiritual person is realistic about worldly wisdom. If, you're, if you've got the spirit of God at work in you, if you're truly spiritual, you are not dazzled by philosophers and theologians and scholars who come up with all these wonderful ideas about anthropology and ethics and sexuality and gender that denies the Bible. I remember at Bible college reading Aristotle and Descartes and Kant and Jean-Paul Sartre and Nietzsche and even a bit of Germain Greer. And some nice ideas and some good stuff there. A lot of it sounded very impressive and very convincing, but it was not biblical. Look how scathing Paul is in verse 6. He says, we speak a wisdom among the mature, among the wise people, but not a wisdom of this age, not the wisdom of the world or the rulers of the world. Look at the next bit, who are coming to nothing. I love that phrase. All these so-called wise people with their ideas and their ponderings, but their ideas just pass away. If you've studied philosophy, it's actually extraordinary. There's all these seasons and cycles you go through the season of this idea is in vogue and then another idea comes in vogue, but they're never compatible with each other. And we shouldn't be dazzled by the wisdom of the world. It's easy to pick up the newspaper and to be bombarded with what the world thinks on gender and sexuality and community and aid and politics and say, oh, that sounds right. 
I don't know whether you saw the SMH yesterday. The, the top trending article online in the SMH yesterday was the, the, the outcry over the Archbishop of Sydney's speech at a, at a speech day at a school nearby. Now, if you read the transcript, actually, it was just in question time. He was asked a question about men and women. And our Archbishop said this. He says, men and women are totally equal, equal in dignity, equal in worth. But there's still a difference. There are male and there are females. And we shouldn't sort of blend the genders. That's what he said. Absolute outcry. People saying... I don't pay thousands of dollars for my daughter to be taught this and then suddenly someone to come in and say that, that they're not the same as men. He didn't say that. But it seems to me that in the age that we live at, we're taught that there is no difference between male and female. And we can't talk about gender issues and we can't talk about sexuality and we can't talk about marriage because the world thinks like this. And I'm here to say if you've got the Spirit of God working in you, don't be dazzled by the ways of the world. Stick with the truth. Oh, be, 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 please, please, please be really, really careful how you talk about it and what you say and how you say it. Most of the problems are caused by people saying it in the wrong way. But say it with humility and with confidence. But if you've got the Spirit of God, then we don't think like the rest of the world. I remember sitting, I used to lecture in applied maths, and I remember sitting at a special dinner uh, with all these other academics, and I sat next to a theologian. He taught New Testament in Oxford. And we got chatting, and he found out I was a Christian, and you could almost see this sort of sympathetic look come over his face, like, poor you, <laughs> believing those simple things. And then he said to me, what are you doing tonight? I said, oh, I'm going to go and teach some boys in the housing estate. He said, why would you do that? I'm going to tell him about Jesus and the cross. And then it struck me that the eight-year-old boy on the housing estate who believed in Jesus and had the Spirit of God at work in him, he was actually more spiritual than this New Testament professor at Oxford University. And I'm here tonight to say to you, if that is you and you've got the Spirit in you, then stand firm, don't be swayed by the ways of the world. Look at verse 14. The unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since he's evaluated spiritually. He, he won't understand or she won't understand until the spirit works. But the spiritual person can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. Mark number four. The spiritual person prays for the unbeliever. That is a, a real mark of the truly spiritual person. We're people of prayer because we recognize without the spirit at work, nothing will happen. Verse 14 again, the unbeliever doesn't welcome what comes from God's spirit unless the spirit reveals it to them. There we have 13 people doing Christianity Explored at the moment. So tomorrow night at 7.30, 13 people studying the Bible. You may never see those people, but what can you do for them? You can pray for them. 
Because unless the Spirit chooses to open those blind eyes, those people, those men and women will never become believers. What can you do for your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or your friend who doesn't believe? Oh, you can talk about Jesus. And we should talk about Jesus, but it's not just talking, is it? We actually need to pray for them. You can talk to your blue in the face, but unless the Spirit opens those blind eyes, they cannot and they will not believe. I remember studying with a guy called Simon at university and he was studying theology, but he wasn't a believer. And three of us used to meet with him and, you know, as keen Christians, we would preach at him and we'd invite him to every church service and every guest talk and we'd give him Bibles and we'd give him books and he just did not believe. And then we started to pray. And three of us prayed for him every week. And 15 years later... Simon became a believer. What happened? God in his wisdom decided to open his blind eyes. Verse 10 happened. That God revealed things to him by the Spirit. God shone the light on the truth of the gospel. So he himself could see God. I find that totally liberating. You may not be the best preacher, the most eloquent talker, but all you can do is pray. Pray for the Spirit to open those eyes. And the last mark of the spiritual person is this, that they are humble and they're assured. Let me uh, read verse 13 again. We speak these things not in words taught by man's wisdom, but in those talk by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the unbeliever doesn't welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it. If you're here and you're speaking spiritual things to spiritual people, it's not because you are more intelligent or more able or more worthy. There is nobody more worthy or less worthy in this building tonight. We're all equal. And that's humbling, isn't it? It's humbling to think that verse 16 is true, that who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? Who, who can ponder God and think about God and know what God is thinking? No one. But we have the mind of Christ. God in his wisdom has shown that to be true for us. And so we can stand here tonight talking about reconciliation and forgiveness and redemption, not because we are worthy, but because of his grace. So I'm here tonight to remind you that you might not be the most intellectual person. You might not be the most well-read Christian here. But if you've got the Spirit of God in you, if you said yes to Jesus, you are more spiritual. You are more spiritual than lots of these so-called spiritual leaders out there. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And you can understand and you can see and you can believe and you can understand the mind of God. That's the most wonderful truth, isn't it? So rather than being puffed up, let's be humble. And rather than being divided by saying, I'm more spiritual than you. No, I'm more spiritual than you. There's no one who's more spiritual. We're all equal. And rather than being dazzled by the world's wisdom, just pray for spiritual insight to stick with the truth. Let me pray.
Father, we ask that in your kindness you might help us to keep on thinking uh, the thoughts of you, that you by your spirit would, would show us what uh, would remain hidden and deep without your spirit's work. Teach us, illuminate us, correct us, rebuke us, but help us to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. And we stop now and pray for those 13 men and women who are doing Christianity Explored. Father, we can put on the best presentations with the best food and the best vibe. But unless your spirit chooses to work in their lives to open their eyes, it is meaningless. And so we plead with you right now for each of those people that you would open their blind eyes to see Christ. In a moment silent, we lift up to God those that we know personally who we want the Spirit of God to work in. Please do that work in Jesus' name. Amen.